Welcome to 501 Crossroads, your show all about nonprofits and the people that make the mission happen. I'm Marjorie Moore, President and CEO of Mind's Eye, and my personal mission is to make nonprofits stronger by identifying and fixing the rubs that so often come up between people and the mission. My fabulous co-host, Natalie Jablonski, the nonprofit ninja, is at ninja training today, so she won't be joining us. But we have a fabulous guest who's going to talk about something I know we're all interested in, accounting. No, 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 don't run away. Stay here. Stay listening. This is really important stuff that you have to know. My guest today is Kitty Zayner from Brownsmith Wallace, and she is here to talk about some changes that FASB is making to some accounting standards. Um, this applies to all of us. Um, but first, first question, what's FASB? <laughs> FASB is an accounting standard setting setting board that sets the accounting standards in uh, generally accepted accounting principles that we follow. Excellent. So they've issued a new ASU. Not sure what that is. Is that a rule? Accounting standard update. Accounting standard update um, on financial statement statement reporting. So can you talk a little bit about the standard um, and a little bit about the background and the objective? Like, why is this happening to us now? <laughs> <laughs> okay. FASB issued ASU 2016-14 on August 18th, 2016, and its goal was to improve existing standards for financial statement presentation um, for all not-for-profit organizations. And as you already mentioned, this does impact every not-for-profit organization. Okay. Wow. This is, this is actually the first major change in not-for-profit guidance since the mid-90s. Oh, wow. So uh, the way we've all been doing it for forever is changing. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and they're actually, it's funny because they're not calling it an overhaul. They're calling it an update, but, oh, okay. but you'll see with the content today that it's, um, significant changes in the financial statement reporting. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. So here we go. <laughs> um, the standard actually focuses on allowing a not-for-profit organization to better tell their story. Okay. Okay. Um, through their financial statements to those users like donors and grantors. Um, its intent was actually to address some issues that previously financial statement users brought to their attention. Um, and that was the complexity and understandability of net asset classes. Okay. Um, also deficiencies in information presented regarding the organization's liquidity mm. and the resources they had available for use. And then lack of consistency among the not-for-profit community in reporting their expenses. And finally, um, a misunderstanding of cash flows. That's a complex statement as it is, and they were trying to make that more understandable. Okay, so this is something that is probably going to make it easier down the road when we're all reporting grants and stuff like that. All of us will have even more consistent uh, items, so hopefully the grantors will be easier on us. I think on. so. I think consistency is is a major um, objective of the standard change. Excellent. So the, they issued the statement last August. When do we have to start doing all of this? Um, for calendar year ends, it will be effective 12-31-2018. Okay, so if your fiscal year is done on December 31st, mm -hmm. you're going to start it that next year? Yes. Okay. 2018. And then for fiscal years, let's say your um, year end is June, that will be effective June 30th, 2019. Okay. So we've got about a year and a half. Yes. Year, year and a half. So we're trying to get ahead of this because it's yeah. a lot of information to digest and considerations to make before it happens. Okay. Now, can now if we get all this under our belt, like we, we understand what we're doing after this, so we've talked to our accountants, can we get this started early or do we have to wait until those dates? So early adoption is permitted. However, I haven't really heard too many not-for-profits um, that are eager to go ahead with this change. I think that um, really the time between now and the adoption date should be more to digest the information 
um, how it relates to your not-for-profit specifically. Um, so you can early adopt, but I just haven't heard a lot of um, people that are going to. Yeah, we all love change so much. So yes. that makes it kind of tricky. Yes. And after we go through the content, I can discuss more things to consider when you're transitioning. Because some things, if you have comparative financial statements, mm-hmm. the year of adoption, you do have to go back to that prior period. Oh, and you have to redo? And redo some oh, pieces of this. <laughs> um, but you can consider if it's not a requirement for your organization that the year that you adopt this to have single year financial statements. Oh, okay. That's an option. Um, but after we get through some of the content, I'll discuss the transition considerations. Okay, excellent. So... um why don't we talk? I, we mentioned that there are five kind of major pieces. So let's talk a little bit about some of the details, some of the benefits for each one. So let's go ahead and start with net asset classification, which we probably need to like explain what that is in the first place, because I, I think I know what that is, but I'm not sure I know what that is. <laughs> okay. So net assets are contributions and expenses too. It's basically, if you think of it in some for-profit terms, it's your income or loss closed into your financial statement. So your equity okay. in the company. Um, in this case, currently net assets, you have unrestricted mm-hmm. and you have um, temporarily restricted and permanently restricted. Mm-hmm. So think of it as the extra assets that you have um, each year to spend in the future. Okay. I wish I had some of those. Yes. <laughs> um, so net asset classes. If you looked at a financial statement today, as I mentioned, it would be three classes. This standard is taking it down to two and it's going to be more simplified. It's going to be with donor restrictions or without donor restrictions. Oh, gosh, that's going to be so good. Because yes. when I talk to my board, they're like, what, what do you mean it's temporarily restricted? Like, what does that mean? Yes. But, you know, the donor says, I have to spend it on this project. Right. So basically, your temporarily restricted and permanently restricted now will collapse mm-hmm. into with donor restrictions. Okay. And the without donor restrictions would be things that don't have anything uh, attached to it at all. Or if your board decides to designate dollars mm-hmm. um, to a certain like an endowment, some boards have extra cash laying around, not the board, but the (laughs) not-for-profit. And they say, we're going to put this amount in to um, unrestricted or board designated each year. Okay. So that would be another, but there will be two classes only on the face of the financial statements. Okay. And then they're going to enhance footnote disclosures surrounding these. So before any time you had without donor designations, um, you did not have to disclose anything, but now you're required to disclose in your footnotes the amount, the purpose, and the type. And as I mentioned, this would be where you would disclose our board has designated to put into an endowment $25,000 a year. That's just using a, mm-hmm. an example um, and put why in, in the type. So that will be an added disclosure. Excellent. So that's for, now we have to put that in the notes for both the um, donor restricted and the non-donor restricted or... Or without, so without, without restrictions, restrictions, that is where you will add this. This okay. will be a, an add, complete Excellent. new thing. Now, with the donor restrictions, you already had to in the past yeah. disclose amount nature. Now you'll have to, um, you'll need to highlight in that disclosure how restrictions affect the use of resources, including liquidity, and how and when these resources can be used. I think it's trying to connect the dots with non financial people possibly Mm -hmm. to know like I have, and we'll get to this more in the liquidity, but I have assets that you'll see on the balance sheet, but they are tied up to be spent on this restriction. 
Yeah. And I think it's trying to close that gap on people that get confused between. That's a really good thing because I think a lot of times I know when I'm presenting my financial statements to my board or to a funder, you know, they're asking, you know, our organization actually has some donor, uh, some, some board designated funds, um, that were board designated a bazillion years ago. And that's the way it's always been. And Mm -hmm. I get people asking me, well, what is that? And it's essentially what, if it had been donor restricted, it would have been our endowment, but it's not. Right. Um, and so it is nice to be able to tell that story of, you know, that's what this is for. And, you know, this is basically our, Really, really, really rainy day fund. <laughs> right. A reserve. Yeah. Exactly. Which is a really good thing. And that'll come into play more on the liquidity too, that you've um, set aside resources for an emergency or a rainy day fund. Yeah. So that I think that's a good going to be a good thing for nonprofits in general then. that I think it will be too. I think what this is going to do is it's a lot more work. Maybe. I mean, front, but I think it will it. tell the story better just in mm-hmm. plain English and yeah. not confusing accounting terms. And we'll, you know, disclose information that says I have these assets. This is what we're spending them on. You know, just a better picture. Okay. Um, the FASB believes that with these net asset classifica- classification changes, that it'll reduce the complexity and increase understandability of the net asset classes, taking it down to two and having the simple titles. Yeah, that does make a lot more sense. And then also tell, which we've kind of discussed, but tell you of the assets, what assets, what you have internally designated versus what's externally designated. Okay. I love that. Mm -hmm. I actually kind of like that change. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, there's I've heard of this term called underwater endowments. And I've heard that that's something that's going to be changing. First, what is that? And then what's what's that change? So the underwater endowments are also in the category of net assets, uh, the net asset changes. And FASB has actually finally provided clarity and consistency on the definition of underwater endowments. Okay. So what this is, is um, it's if a donor restricted endowment fund for which the fair value as of the reporting date, as of 1231, let's say that's your mm-hmm. year end, if the fair value is less than the either the original gift amount or the amount required to be maintained by the donor, based on their restrictions, um, then that means it's underwater. So let me go back a little bit. So someone gives you um, $10,000 to invest in perpetuity. And then in the 10th year, that 10,000 original gift, that investment is no longer worth Mm $10,000. Because the market crashed. The market crashed. Okay. So that then that endowment is called an underwater endowment. Okay. So what are the uh, consequences for a nonprofit now if, if that should happen? Or are, will there be? Or what's FASB? Well, gonna... actually, um, now in the past, if you had unrealized loss that brought that below its original gift amount, then you flipped that into um, unrestricted net assets. So now that's going to stay within donor with restrictions or Okay, with yeah. restrictions, stay all in that category. So that's actually a gap change um, rather than flipping out to unrestricted. But what it means is the board, there's no consequence because it okay. happens. Yeah. Can't, we cannot you can't the control the market. <laughs> so there's not really any consequences, but you're going to enhance disclosures to be more transparent and say, I've got this many endowment funds that are underwater. This was the original gift. This was is the fair value and kind of show... Mm-hmm. Um, how far below it is, below its corpus. But your board needs to really look at this and create a policy um, to how much it will spend or not spend when the investment has fallen below its its original value. So that's yeah. really going to be key. Okay, that makes a lot of sense too. 
So how should an organization start to prepare for all of these changes for the net asset classifications and all the disclosures that are going to be required? So the good news is there are no real differences in internal tracking of net assets. <laughs> I know <laughs> because you would have, you would have needed to track that um, anyway, even yeah. with the old standards. Um, there are options to be considered though on how the organization would want to disaggregate on the face of the financial statements and if it's meaningful to do more or less on like your statement of financial position, will it help your organization tell a better story? And what I mean by that is on the face of your statement of financial position. Right now with this new standard, you're only required to have at minimum two lines down under net assets that say with donor restriction, without donor restriction. If you decide that you want to tell the users further information on the face and not just back in the footnotes, you could have, for example, without donor restrictions and under it, disaggregate more and say like board designated for endowment, okay, unrestricted, board designated for building, you, mm -hmm. you know, anything like that. So, okay. so you can, you have some options to disaggregate. So that's something a not-for-profit would want to consider. Um, and then, as mentioned, in regards to underwater endowments, the organization has the opportunity to build on their policy that the board has regarding those endowments and the plan on how to spend it okay. if it should go underwater. Excellent. So then after net, net assets, the other big change is liquidity. So what's this like and why is FASB making changes to liquidity? Or I guess not changes to liquidity, but right. how we report our right. liquidity. <laughs> so in my opinion, and it's not everybody's opinion, but in my opinion, this is the most significant change that I see and may have the most impact to not-for-profit organizations and users of the financial statements. Um, one piece of good news that we mentioned earlier, uh, we didn't mention the good news, but you don't have to go back on this change. So the year you adopt, um, this is one thing that you won't have to restate for the prior period. So that's that's the good news out of it. Um, so what this liquidity um, standard change is going to do is have you put in um, disclosures, qualitative disclosures and quantitative disclosures. The qualitative disclosure, disclosure is going to um, be how an organization manages its liquid available resources and its liquidity risk. So basically, in, in other words, um, you're going to have to say what available assets you have and um, if how you're going to address if you didn't have liquid assets to cover um, your expenses. So in this, you might disclose strategies and policies for your reserves for your rainy day fund. Okay. You may also consider one of your strategies may to be um, to open a line of credit and just have it just in case something happens mm -hmm. um, to have that as to tap into if you need more resources. Um, and then quantitative is inf this is really interesting. It's information that communicates the availability of an organization's financial assets at the balance sheet date. So the reporting date to meet cash needs for expenses within one year. Oh, right. So that's going a user is really going to be able to look at this footnote and the restriction, net asset restriction footnote, and be able to tell um, what the organization is going to do within the next year and how what assets they have to meet payroll, mm -hmm. rent, maintenance, you know, yeah. all of those things. So this could really change probably how a lot of organizations look at how much cash they have on hand and right. things like that. So different strategies too, which would be part of the qualitative, might be that an orga organization may shift some of their investments to short term mm -hmm. 
rather than long-term to have that as a liquid resource. Um, There's different things to look at, but I really think this one is interesting and going to really have organizations take a look at cash forecasting projections and make sure that they have enough cash on hand, not cash necessarily, Mm -hmm. but available monies, (laughs) available monies, because so many times you might look and see $5 million in cash when we all dream, Oh man, (laughs) Um, have that on your balance sheet. And then a user may not, may not be able to connect the dots that 3 million of that is for future use of building Mm -hmm. a building. Yeah. And that that's not truly liquid cash. It's tied up in something else. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is liquid cash, but it's to be used for something, not just your general expenditures. Yeah. And so that would tie that to your liabilities and things like that. So that Mm -hmm. we know that like, well, okay, yeah, I mean, this is balance sheet date, but you know, payday is three days from now and we owe a lot to our employees, you know, right. So that's really going to address that. Okay. um, And bring, bring that to light. Um, The objective of those changes, the liquidity changes are to provide more transparent information Mm -hmm. and better understand of how the organization manages its liquid available resources and liquidity risk um, and will reveal both internal and external limits on your available resources. Awesome. So what should an organization be doing right now to get ready for this big change? For the liquidity changes, they really need to take a close look at um, how this change would impact in relation to their operations and their current financial situation. This may not impact um, more established, larger not-for-profits that have a lot of reserves, Mm -hmm. Um, but maybe a startup not-for-profit, it would impact more because you may not have that rainy day fund. So you've really got to take a look at your budgeting, your forecasting, and see how this will pan out and what you'll have to disclose. Um, You can consider an option for a classified balance sheet. That would be on the face, your statement of financial position. We also Mm -hmm. call it balance sheet. But um, it's not required right now, but some people show current assets on it and non-current. Okay. And somebody, uh, an option is to go ahead and move to that and see if it would be useful in starting the point for presenting information about those available assets for general expenditure in one year. So that kind of will tell tell a little bit, get you started going that way. So that could be an implementation next year to prep up for this. um, And it would be key to start having discussions about this with management and board and potential strategies. Like we mentioned, maybe having an available line of credit open, um, putting a percentage of investments in short term instead of long term, um, enhancing board policy for establishing reserves and that rainy day fund. Um, So overall, the organization has an opportunity here to really increase transparency, build policies and and help um, project cash in the future. Okay. So then our next big change is going to be to the presentation and reporting of expenses, which we we all just love, you know, that part. Yes. Um, So what's going to be the impact of of this change? What's that going to look like? So um, operating expenses should be shown by both nature and function, which I work with a lot of not-for-profits. And actually, um, most not-for-profits are already attacking this. And a lot of them have the schedule of functional expense in place. So that's us uh, putting things into the administrative box, the fundraising box and the program. Yes, exactly. So nature is uh, the nature is insurance, uh, Mm -hmm. payroll, um, rent, and the function is program management and fundraising. Perfect. Um, But it has not been required for all organizations and now is is required for all um, non-operating expenses don't have to be shown by function. Um, and there are options 
that you don't have to have a statement or schedule a functional expense. You can put it in your footnotes in a table. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You can have the standalone statement, which we just mentioned, or you can put it in your statement of activities. Okay. In my mind, that would make it very clunky, yeah. long. Yeah. <laughs> very long. So um, I think many of the organizations will lean towards presenting the separate statement because it'll be re- easier to read for management and other users of the financial statement. Yeah. There's also some additional guidance on when to allocate management and general expenses. There's going to be more scrutiny now on what you throw in the program bucket from (laughs) G&A, from management in general. Yeah. So I think that um, there's just going to be, you're going to have to disclose more information about your allocation methodologies. Mm -hmm. And an auditor maybe Mm -hmm. um, would come in. (laughs) Would come in and need more evidence. I think a little bit heavier evidence on why you consider something to be that's kind of an administrative function to be mm-hmm. program. Um, so the more robust, it'll be a more robust footnote disclosure. And I'll give you an example of that. Um, if you use square footage to determine um, occupancy and depreciation, you will spell that out in your footnote. Okay. And, so say I measure some of those methods and, mm-hmm. all those and who were program people in that room and who mm-hmm. were administrative and, and things like that. So you're just going to have to spell that out more. Um, this change will add information useful to financial statement users in assessing uh, different things like the degree to which an organization's expenses are fixed versus discretionary, um, how the related resources are being allocated, and the cost of the services provided. Okay. Sounds like a really big change. <laughs> and we talked about this earlier. This is a big change, but it will kind of make not-for-profits that you look at um, across the board more consistent and comparable mm-hmm. Yeah, to have this in place. So what should we be doing to prepare for this one? Um, I think management and with their help of finance committees or board of directors should take a really close look and evaluate their current allocation policies and um, spend good time, you know, a good amount of time and detailed review of that of that methodology and consider the fact that you'll need stronger evidencing in direct conduct and direct supervision. You'll have to prove prove that out a little bit more than you have in the past review your organization structure, um, and just look at those different things. And you can do time and effort studies, and you can look at square footage. And I think a a deeper dive look into why, because you carry those forward so often for years. Oh, yeah. It's like, well, we did that years ago. Right. We're consistent, but now you really have to... (laughs) So FASB knows that now this is going to take a lot more management in general time just to do this. Yes, good point, <laughs> good point. Um, yes, it will. Yeah. So um, so the final change um, that we're discussing is investment return and cash flow. Um, tell us a little bit about how that's going to go. These are much smaller changes in relation <laughs> to the ones that we just <laughs> talked about. Um, currently, investment return is all on one line. You can show it all on one line on your statement of activities, but you still do have to, and you can net the expenses against that. Okay. But you still do have to disclose expenses, your investment expenses. Okay. You also currently have to show the components of the investment return in your footnotes and break it out between dividends, interest, unrealized gains, losses, realized gains, losses. All that is going away. Okay, good. Yay. So it'll eliminate that disclosure that breaks Mm -hmm. out the components, and it will also eliminate having to break out the uh, in disclosure the investment fees. 
Okay. I will. One key point, though, is that if you're a not-for-profit, you most likely are filing a 990 Mm -hmm. um, informational tax return. And this breakout of components of investment return does not apply to that. So you will still have to break out the components on the 990. So keep track of it still. Yes. You still have to do that, but it won't mirror the financial statements. It will in total, but you won't be able to tie back and forth. Okay. That's always interesting to me how the sometimes your your 990 and your financial statements don't necessarily match perfectly. And you're like, I know it kind of drives people. It makes me scared sometimes, to be honest. (laughs) And then the the other change, that's it on investment return. But on cash flows, they pushed really hard when they were making the standard to move every not-for-profit to direct method of cash flows. Mm -hmm. And... um, it didn't really go over well. So now you do still have the option to do direct cash flow versus indirect cash flow. Okay. So that means, um, that would be a whole nother class. Okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I can, I can kind of tell you, um, direct is easier to follow. It, it would just say like cash paid to vendors, oh. um, cash received from donors and indirect is reconciling your net income or change in net assets. And oh, okay. So this isn't the difference between accrual and cash no, accounting. This no, is something it's totally just presentation. Okay. It really is. Got it. Um, I would say a a direct method of cash flow is easier for a non financial person to understand. Most definitely. Okay. If you looked at a piece of paper and saw cash paid to vendors, yeah. cash collected, um, I think that's a more understandable method, and mm-hmm. that's why they kind of tried to push that. Okay. Um. But it didn't go through. So okay. you can now still um, do either method. Okay, perfect. So back to the transition period. Um, since we've heard a lot more details on the key changes, what are some considerations we should be making over the next year and a half, two years while our organizations are ramping up for these changes? So as mentioned earlier, early adoption is permitted, otherwise 2018 for calendar years and 2019 for fiscal years. Um, not-for-profits are already permitted to incorporate some of the changes. Mm-hmm. If they would like um, the changes that cannot be done without formally adopting so that cannot be done early um, are the net asset classification, underwater endowment accounting, elimination of the disclosure for investment return components and uh, eliminating the indirect reconciliation on the cash flow. Okay. So there are some you cannot do early. So we don't necessarily have, it doesn't have to be all or nothing as we start to implement this. This can be, I'm going to do this piece now. I'm going to wait on these pieces I can't do yet. Right. But start getting ready. So some things you could start incorporating. Okay. Um, The organization will want to consider options such as comparative financial statements, the year of adoption versus um, single year presentation. Okay. If comparative financial statements are to be issued, then changes must be made to prior year. Okay. Except there are two exceptions. I want those exceptions. Let me be that exception. You do not have to go back um, on expenses on reporting nature and function. Okay. And which a lot of people are already doing that schedule. So it doesn't (laughs) really matter. Um, But you also don't have to go back on the liquidity and available resource. Okay. um, Those disclosures. Cool. So. That's good. So then um, what are your final words for advice of advice as you know, we're getting ready for for all these big changes? I would definitely get um, discussions started with management and Mm -hmm. your finance or audit committee and your board and determine what of these changes will take the most effort on your organization's part, because some Mm -hmm. may not be relevant to everybody. Um, But what 
what will take the most effort and kind of start there. Um, I would review your, your liquid assets and available resources and develop those strategies. Um, oh, that sounds like something to start now. That yes. Piece, start I, that, that now. That's, <laughs> the, that's the scary, not scariest part, but mm-hmm. I think that's going to bring light the most yeah. information. Um, to review those liquid assets and your available resources, develop those strategies, whether it be line of credit, reserve, um, different things to meet 12 months of general expenditures. Um, review and evaluate all your current policies. Um, review current expense allocation methodologies because it's just going to be scrutinized more how mm-hmm. you allocate those. So get that folder on your computer mm-hmm. going of this is how we figured out my salary this year. This is how we decided how, where the copy machine was going, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Just put in a folder, have it ready for the auditor. Yes, yes. And see that it makes sense because mm-hmm. I have seen that it was the same as last year, so many years and carried mm-hmm. forward. So it's just taking yeah. a, a look at it and revamping it if it if it's needed. Um, review your accounting system and your current tracking processes and make sure that what you have can ac- accommodate these changes. Um, consider any debt covenants and ratios and how this might impact that. How a bank might look at your financials now that you're spelling out liquidity and mm-hmm. showing all of this. <laughs> um, and... Um, and then consider that there is a phase two of this project. Oh, no. Um, I think I've given you enough information to digest from phase one. Just know that phase two is still in the works. There's no date. Um, and it dives into um, operating measurements. So we'll Oof. focus on this now yeah. and leave that for later. Okay. But, um, Seems like a lot to handle right now. So we'll, yes. we'll wait for We'll definitely wait on phase two. So, Katie, thank you so much for all this information because, oh, man, I'm not ready. (laughs) But I have a year and a half, two years to do it. So that's good. I'm going to be probably on the phone with my accountant after we get done here um, to make sure that we're ready. Tell me how or tell me how our listeners can get a hold of you if they need more more information or they're not really sure. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Yes. So um, I work with Brownsmith Wallace and you can call me at 314-983-1209. Or you can email me at kzayner at bswllc.com. Excellent. And we'll have all of that information in the show show notes for everybody. And if people just didn't get enough or they would like to see some actually real concrete examples with some pictures, which I think we might all appreciate, that is the downside of having a podcast. You're doing a webinar this week, right? Next week. Next yes. week. Yes. This coming week um, on, I believe, April 27th. Okay. That's Thursday. It's Thursday, April 27th. Excellent. And we can just go to BSW or yeah, BSWLLC.com to uh, sign up and, and register. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Yes. And, and it free? will be, it's free. Oh, um, free. It's starts at noon and it's an hour and 15 minutes. There will be Q and A and a couple other people with me. I'll be presenting, but it will be nice to see, um, what I went over today to see some example footnote disclosures and the statements and kind of get that picture in front of you. Excellent. So you'll show us what this is actually going to really look like in real life. That's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Katie. Thank you for having me. And uh, thank you to all of you out there for joining us on 501 Crossroads. 501 Crossroads is recorded at the studios of Mind's Eye Radio and is produced and hosted by me, Marjorie Moore, and usually uh, Natalie Jablonski. Uh, Mike Curtis is our sound engineer. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher or your favorite app and subscribe and leave us some feedback so others can find us. You can find us on Facebook at 501 Crossroads. Thank you for listening. And remember, we're all working towards the same outcomes.